there'll be lots of opportunity to serve in the upcoming year and, and excited about that. But as a result, you know, kind of kicking around with the team and talking about and kind of prayerfully seeking out what direction we would go as far as the, the preaching aspect of, of church would be for the next several weeks. We're going to launch into a, a theme of serve or service. So this morning we're going to look at a passage that I believe will set the tone for that. So I want you to go ahead and find your way to Mark chapter 10. There's something to be said when you come to the scriptures that oftentimes that we, we realize that we intrinsically find the faith community that we are a part of to be meaningful to us in a way that, that, that is, is, is powerful because oftentimes when we meet Christ and we have this opportunity to come to know him, that we realize that other people have done similar things. That's part of the reason that as a church we gather because we're not alone in these experiences. So I would love for you to look at your neighbor and say, you're not alone in your experiences. Now that's a generalization. I realize you might have a unique experience or two in your life, but that being said, for the most part, we, we, are, we are working a, well, a, a well-worn path. Oftentimes people re- don't realize that 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 there are others that have gone through very much what they have gone through. You know, one of the great joys of being a pastor is uh, being allowed to, to see this opportunity where I can connect people who have been through similar things and say, you know, I may not have gone exactly through what you're going through, but I know somebody else who has. And let me, let me ask them if they'd be willing to, to, to maybe speak to this moment or, or have this opportunity. And it's really neat when you get to come to a place where you realize that you might be thinking that you're the only person in the whole world that's facing the thing you're facing. And then you might look across the room and somebody else is going through exactly, has gone through it, has survived it, is, is on the other side of it. Or maybe they're right in the middle of it. Or maybe somebody's getting ready to start into that and you've got some experience. And you know, as a person who will tell you that I'm, a, I'm sort of a, a toxic overhelper, I, I want to help everybody, try to help all the time. And so there's this moment where sometimes on social media where I have to just stop and say, they haven't asked for any help here. Don't offer any. Because I just will offer help all the time. And I have to temper it. And so there's this, this picture, there's something that occurs here in Scripture that I want to look at this morning that I think gives us this opportunity to look at these, these, these moments where we begin to, to identify with each other and learn to face Christ the right way and approach the, the matter the right way instead of the way that oftentimes we stumble into because of culture. So when you get to Mark chapter 10, I want you to identify um, verse number 35. When you find it, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, let us read together this passage. It's 10 verses long. It says in verse number 35, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand, and the other on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, We are able. So Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those 
who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you shall or desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that as we come to the Scriptures that we are challenged and reminded that oftentimes we, we just run right up to you and we ask you these bold questions that oftentimes we don't really fully understand. I pray this morning, Lord, that in your, your Scripture, Lord, that you will show us a model of service. Lord, one that we would embrace and that we would run at. Lord, I pray that we would, we would in the harmony of, of, of belief with others who are on this journey together, that we, would be, that we would be bound to this task of serving. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You know, it takes a lot of different moving parts and, and pieces in order to make, make church life go the way that it, that it needs to go and, or the way that we... we, we hope that it will go. And, and as a result, what is the end result that we're desiring and that we want? Well, I'll, I mean, I'll just tell you flat out that, that all the programming is, is, is subservient. It is, it is a, a, a means by which we hope to accomplish something else. And so everything that we do, whether it's make coffee, whether it's, it's, it's hand out the, the bulletins, or whether it's it's decorate or whether it's cook in the kitchen or whether, I mean, whatever, drive vehicles, all those things, every single one of them, if the, if the root behind those things that we're doing isn't that we could introduce people who do not know Jesus to Jesus and that we could help those who know Jesus know him a little bit better, then we need to stop and say, why are we doing this? It's not coffee for coffee's sake, right? It's not a snack on Wednesday night for a snack's sake. It's the opportunities that we afford ourselves to teach people about Jesus. Well, there's this, this brilliant moment in the Scriptures that happens, and, and I love it, and, the, and the, the tone, in my opinion, is a lot harsher than we oftentimes read it. I always tell people that we kind of we friendly Jesus up in such a way that we forget that He's a man talking to other men. And I don't know about you, but when men talk to men, sometimes they get a little, a little sharper on the edges, right? They are, they are not possessing all the sandpaper they need in order to smooth themselves out. And so when they're really just being blunt with one another, sometimes it sounds like a war. And there's this moment, and I wouldn't suggest that's what's happening here, but I would say it's harder than we, than we oftentimes give it. Verse 35 says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I mean, and right there, there's the moment where it just, it just this is the easy believism and the cultural Christianity summarized in one statement that many of us wrestle with at every turn. We believe that Jesus is a genie in a bottle. We believe that he is supposed to give to us this forgiveness and acceptance and this embrace this, this bit of us that, that is undesirable by anybody else and make us part of the family. And as a result, we just think that we can roll up to him anytime we want and ask him for whatever we want. And we tell him that straight out. We're like, and, and we will get indignantly upset with him when we don't, when he gets a, gives us a no. I don't, I just, I just across the room here, and this is a moment for confession. Anybody ever in this room ever been told no by God? 
Yeah. Like, did you hear that? I mean, some of you are, are in this room and you're like, why does God keep telling me no? Trust me, you're not alone. He tells us all no sometimes. He told me no many times. And I'm okay. I, I survived it. And I kept coming to church. And I kept worshiping. And I kept serving. Even though he told me the thing I wanted, he's like, no. And that's okay. But we oftentimes will roll up to Jesus and we will have this, 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 this picture. You know, and, and I heard one person summarize this really interestingly. He says, oftentimes we'll read the first bit of Scripture in Genesis and we'll say, you know, there was this perfect garden and man messed it up and then we jump all the way to the cross and we forget all that struggle in between of where that first bit of disobedience and that sacrifice of Jesus and we erase all of it just to, just to package it up in this simple thing that it's like your life is a mess, God can fix it, and we don't talk about the, the, the process by which relationship is built throughout the entire, the entire Scripture. And we forget that when we get to this moment that we, we are like the disciples, that we just come to Jesus in a small faction or group, of, in the midst of a group, and say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And I love this next part. I love it because I can feel the, the, the virility in it. I can feel the, 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 the iron or the strength in these words. Verse 36, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And, and I think that sometimes when we come to our Savior in our prayer life and we ask him for something, and I think if we heard that echoing refrain, oh, you want me to do something for you now. And in the, the grand spectrum of understanding everything that we know about the Bible, and if you've been studying it for any measure of time, and if you've come to know about Christ's suffering, if you've come to know about his resurrection, if you've come to know about the forgiveness that he offers, and you say to yourself, isn't that enough? And I talk about this a lot. What he has already offered me is sufficient for me to be in love with him for the rest of my life. And to follow and serve him with everything I have, for, that's enough. It's not heaven plus whatever else I ask. Man, and I think sometimes we get upset with our Creator, with our Savior, and we cry out to Him and He says, Oh, you need something? You want something? Here I am. And there's this, 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 this one statement, He's like, what do you want me to do for you? And I don't know about you, but as a parent, I, I resonate with this. Sometimes with my children. I love my children. My children are, 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 are just like everybody else's children in this room. They're flawed and, they're, and they're, 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 they have moments of, of what I think are beyond possible perfection and other moments where it's like, I mean, you were being raised by a monster because apparently I have done a bad job. Right? I think that with God it's like this sometimes. And I, and I don't blame them, I blame me. You know, I understand the truth. I don't know about you, but parenting's hard, right? But sometimes my, parent, my, my children will come to their parent, to me or their, or their mother, and they'll say something. And if I'm not in a great mood, and you, you guys didn't know that Brother Ben could get in a bad mood, did you? That's true. It has happened. There's a well-documented, you know, list of days that are better than other days, you know. But I might just look at him and be like, what now? 
You ever done that to your kids? I don't think that Jesus is doing that, but I think that that's kind of the same feeling I feel from the passage where it's like, okay, go ahead and ask. And immediately, they, they don't miss a beat, do they? Just like our children, they don't miss a beat. They said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. And they are starting to get a picture of the eternity to come. They don't fully understand it yet, but they're starting to get a glimpse. And they're like, we, we want to be, and it sounds noble, doesn't it? We want to be with you. We want to be right up there with you. And Jesus just puts it on them. He just puts it right on them. And in quoting him, midst of verse number 38, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And he's like, you, you don't know what you're asking. And that's point number one is that we don't always know what we are asking for. We don't. Sometimes we go to him and we think that this would fix everything. This would be the summary of all of our problems dealt with in this one thing. And as soon as that problem's dealt with, there's another problem. And we go right back to him and we say, this is the summary of all the things that I want from you. And I'm waiting for you to say yes. And, and Jesus just asks him the question. And he does this a lot where he, he asks questions to answer questions. But he tells them, you don't know what you're asking for. And then he says, are you able? And I wish the answer to that question there is, I mean, I, I like that, that we can come to, to, to the place where we can identify with Jesus. But man, we don't fully understand or identify with Jesus to the level of his suffering. Even those that have died a martyr's death don't fully understand to the level because while they have died a martyr's death and they have endured pain and, and suffering and, and they have seen, seen horrible, horrible things befall them, they haven't taken on all the sin of all of mankind in the process. So we only identify with him to a point. And he's like, yeah, you can drink this cup and you can take on this baptism. But he asks them the question first. He, he, he poises himself to, to put them in a spot where they're... Where they're a little uneasy. Now, you know, you do that with your kids too, don't you? When you ask them a question about their question, and all of a sudden they're like, I don't know if I should ask him for anything else. He seems like he's in a bad mood. And like I said, I don't think Jesus is in a bad mood. I just think he's being, he's just being forthright. They immediately, we are able. And isn't that our anthem? We are able to do these things. And we have this proud, resolute moment. Man, is the moment that things got real serious with Jesus, these disciples scattered, they ran away, they denied him, they, they, they bolted. They were limp-wristed and mealy just like we are. They are not the confident. And they stood in the presence of Jesus, and yet they, they bolted as soon as things got difficult. We are able, that's what they said. And we do this to Jesus. Jesus, give us this thing we've asked for because we are able. Are you really? Are you? There's this moment. Jesus just, just he just doesn't even miss a beat. So, so Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. 
Make certain you understand and you hear this part clearly. The cup of his suffering, this baptism, this fully being immersed in the process of being being completely 100% new and transformed, and these pictures of death, burial, and resurrection just right here in front of us. And are you thinking on these things when we take the Lord's Supper? This cup and this and this declaration, this testimony of, of being like-minded in Christ with these pieces? Because I will tell you to follow Christ. You know, I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems to be a big theme throughout comedy in American culture. Lots of comedians like to take lots of pot shots at Christians because if we follow this book, we are not going to fire back. Every once in a while, you get some zealous people that will just be like militant in their faith and they'll, and they'll get real sharp with their words and they'll get real serious about it. But man, comedians, they just, they, just, they just trash talk Christians all day long. And you know, the Bible teaches us a number of things about how we should behave when that happens. One of them is not to become a keyboard warrior. Your thumbs don't need to be wearing out your social media on your cell phone doing the thing. Let me give you a little hint about how this works. If you believe this book is exactly what it says it is, then you live what it says you should live and you do what it says you should do and you don't worry about defending it when it comes time for somebody that is, that is hammering it on social media or on the internet and you don't type out a whole, a whole doctrinal thesis on the matter because that doesn't win arguments or friends. It doesn't change people's opinion. All it does is it opens you up for more and more of that nonsense. What it does, what you should do, is just model this life. Just model this life. You will completely unnerve the critics if you will just do what this says you should do. You will completely unwind them. The most manly thing I know what to do is, is follow this 100%. Because it will lead you to some hard stuff. And you will suffer some. And you'll be completely immersed in the world around you being transformed. And he's like, yeah, you can do it. Point number two this morning is that Jesus makes it clear that we will go through tough things. He makes it clear. And he also goes on to say, at the, at the summary of, the, of this little paragraph, he says, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And Jesus is basically saying there's already, there's already some, some name placards, right? We would, though, we would unearth the entire order of God's plan to make ourselves more comfortable, to make ourselves more important, to make ourselves more authoritative, to make ourselves higher-minded, to make ourselves bigger, better, stronger than we should be. We would do that, and we do do that. And Jesus is like, no, you don't understand. That's already sorted out. I love verse 41 because the, you know, the subcontext is about to take the main stage. All these, all these supporting actors are, are waiting in the wings to spring on the stage and be like, We've been listening and we've been hearing you talk to Jesus and we don't like it. And, and there's something to be said here and I, re I really want, I re I want to bathe in this for just a few moments. So verse 41 says, And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Did you know 
that you could be boldly asking Jesus for something, and it could be irritating those around you. You could be asking God for something. You could be looking to Jesus and, and crying out, and others around you could be like, oh, these guys, what are they asking for? Do they even understand what's going on? But I don't think they're upset that they're asking Jesus something. I think they're upset because they're asking Jesus to put them in a place above them. Are you aware that it's not uncommon to find reason to be displeased with one another? Are you, are you familiar? That's point number three. I want you to look, or just, just look around the room for just a moment. Look, just, I know some of you are like, well, okay, what's this trap he's setting? It's okay, just look around the room. You guys don't agree about everything there is to agree about. And that's okay. It is okay. Jesus still loves you. He still loves me. He loves all of us. Sometimes we're not going to agree with all the decisions that are made here, are we? That's okay. You know what I tell people, and, and I, I give you this, this, this thing. When people come to my office and they sit down in front of me and they want to talk with me about different things, I will walk people through some pretty, some pretty basic things that I believe are, are very helpful. But I, want to, I get to the diagnostic piece where I ask them about the communication in their life, and usually the communication is so badly broken to most people that that's where we begin. But that being said... Every once in a while, someone will say, and I'm not thinking of anyone specific here, so bear with me. This has happened to me many times, so this is I'm not isolating anyone here. We don't really fight. And I always be like, then you probably don't communicate. And I say, well, what is that supposed to mean? And I'll say, well, I've never met two people that agreed about absolutely everything. Even those who are like-minded, they disagree about the sauces or the flavors or the restaurants or the TV shows. They disagree about something. And most of that's not enough, enough to get in fights over. But when you find that those, those divisions, they grow out to more important things, then there are disagreements. And, and enough of that small stuff will add up to irritation that people will fight about nonsense. Most of us don't remember the reason why we fought about some of the stuff we fought about. And mostly what it boils down to is that we don't communicate well. And as a result, we argue about stuff because we're irritated about a bunch of little stuff. I was in a, and, and now I'm thinking in a more specific manner, I was in a, in, a, in a session many years ago and working through some material, and I had a young man tell me when I got to the conflict section of the premarital course that I worked through with people, he tells me, he goes, we don't need to do this part. And I was like, okay, explain. And he goes, we've just decided right here, right now, we're not going to fight. And we're just, we're not going to go to bed angry. We're not going to disagree about stuff. We're not going to fight. It's not gonna, I said, then one of you will be master and the other one will be servant. Because when you're peers, you're going to disagree. And he's like, no, no. And we went on this kind of moment for like a couple of different weeks. We talked about this part because we were, we were corresponding and, and, and we're talking about it. And I've given them some homework, some pre-work to do. And he's like, well, I just don't think this is relevant to us. And I said, Finally, we had labored it for about two weeks, and finally I said to him, I said, it's funny to me that you think you're not going to fight with your wife, but you've done nothing but fight with me for the last two weeks. I do understand you're going to love her, and you just have to like me, but I finally just told him, I said, I just don't believe you have a large enough sample size yet to understand the, the, the value of what I'm trying to help you with. 
I said, when you realize that you're wrong about this, and I pray that you're not, but when you realize that you're wrong about this, the material is here, and I'm glad to take the call. It's amazing to me that when we look at the group and the situation here, that there are 10 that are listening to two, and two of them have this idea about what they want, and they're upset now that somebody was bold enough to ask for it. And there's this overwhelming picture. Verse 42 says, But Jesus called them to himself. He gathers the whole group now, and he says to them, Okay, he's like, we're going to reset, and everybody's going to hear me clearly on what's to expect. Okay. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. That piece where I just said one will be master and one will be servant, that's how, you know, you know, you can disagree in silence kind of a thing. He says, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Verse 43 says, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. And he, he does this paradoxical shift where he's like, the thing you desire will put you in a bad spot. He's like, but the thing that, that nobody desires is a thing that will, will catapult you forward. And there's a humility in these passages that oftentimes is, is, is subtext, but it's always present. It's kind of like the part of the house that the house stands on that nobody sees because it's covered up. I don't know about you, but most houses have a foundation of some kind, and that foundation is set on some kind of substrate. We never see the substrate unless we are in the process of, of getting underneath the house and digging it up and doing the thing. Uh, the, the first church I, that I um, pastored full-time was an old, old building, rock foundation, rock pillars. We got into the underneath side and, and rock stacked on tops of rocks and, and these great big timbers on there. And, and most people that went to that church would never see these types of things. But we had to get down in there and we had to drain a, a sump well that was clogged up. And, you know, to talk about the glamorous parts of ministry, I mean, dig a mouse out of a sump pump. Come with me, I'll show you all kinds of cool ministry. There's this picture here where he's like, you don't understand that the sub that the subtext is is that humility is the is the foundation. That service is the backbone to how all the rest of this stands upon it. And we come to Christ running at him with our wish list. And he's like, are you sure that that's what you want to ask me for right now? Because I will tell you, and let's go back to the beginning of all the moving pieces. I kind of highlighted a number of different things that happened at the church. If your desire is to be the greatest, and just fill in the blank, whatever service role there is, and to be recognized for doing it, then you are missing the real purpose of why we're doing any of it. The real purpose of why we're doing any of it is that we could take people who don't know Jesus and introduce them to Jesus, take people who know Jesus and help them know him a little bit better. I want to be invisible. I want for the thing in my hand to be given to you, whether it's an empty seat on a vehicle or a cup of coffee or a, a bulletin or whether it's a meal in the fellowship hall or whether it's 
a lesson that's taught. And what I want you to see is Jesus. I want you to see him. And, you know, and there's this picture of serving. You know, one of the, the, the best models of the person who's going to get the greatest tip from me when I go to a restaurant is the person that I don't remember at the end of the meal because they just came and they did their job and I, they, didn't, they didn't intrude on the moment too much. They served. And I think that you could live an entire life in Christendom where you just serve quietly, subtly, doing things, and people are like, I don't even know their name. And trust me, this is a big enough group that some of you are thinking, I don't know most of these people's names. And you could just live a life where you're like, did it point people to Jesus? Did it point people to, to eternity? Did it point people to understanding the magnitude? Hey, that's what it's for. I, I love it. I listened to a number of, of, of great sermons in the course of my life. And one of my favorite ones is a guy that, that, that started out in his church and he's like, just talking about cleaning bathrooms. He's like, they were looking for volunteers and they said, well, we need somebody to clean the bathrooms. And he just, you know, I volunteer to clean the bathrooms. And he upgraded from there to cleaning buses. And he, and he upgrades from there and he goes through all these different processes. He said one day in the process of cleaning a number of buses that he come to one and he realized, he realized that he was cleaning the bus that stopped at his house where the driver got off and walked up to his fence and asked him, and he said, in his own words, my thought was, I know you're here to invite me to church. And the guy stopped him. He says, I'm not here to invite you to church. He goes, your kids ride this van or this bus, and we, and we do that. He says, but I want to introduce you to my Savior. He says, I would have got down on my hands and knees and cleaned that floor with my tongue because I was so grateful to God that he used that vehicle to drive that man to my house. He goes, thank God I didn't have to. I had brushes and soap. But when we begin to get to the place where we're like, this is the van, the bus, this is the classroom that I sat in, this is, the, this is the cup of coffee that introduced me to a greater conversation with my Savior, and I would serve Him if I had to crawl across hot coals to do it, because that's the gratitude that is swelling up in me. Jesus is looking at them and saying, you are in this spot where you should desire to serve. And then he just lays it out beautifully. He just this, this verse, and if you're not going to remember anything else that's said today, remember this one. It says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. He didn't come that way. The picture a couple of weeks ago was wise men showing up with presents and gifts. Shepherds coming in out of the field to be with him. The, the, the model is the angels declaring his eminent arrival. And he's telling us right here that once he got here, the point was not for him to be served. And you see him, don't you, with the towel wrapped around his waist and washing the feet of his disciples? It's but to serve. That's why he came. And then you see his grand service, the one that is beyond all the rest to give his life as a ransom for many. And you look to the cross. You know, the picture of the cross that appears in Protestant churches across the land, Baptist churches like ours, is empty. And, and you can look at a clear, distinct um, number of different religious symbols and that you see all throughout the world. One of them, um, if you see the picture of the cross and Jesus is still on it, that's called a crucifix. It's a picture of his suffering. We are grateful for Jesus' suffering. Amen? But when we look upon this empty cross, we see a picture of resurrection because he's not on the cross anymore. He's not there anymore. 
He's been, he's been buried and raised to new life. He is resurrected. He has given his life as a ransom and he has paid it in full. And the picture is, is that that's exactly why he came. You see, the beautiful language that you find in the scripture is that Jesus knew he was coming from heaven to serve you. And to put a model out in front of you that you might serve others. And that you might show other people an empty cross. Not one that demands of them anything more than their obedience to him. And so this morning, the question is, 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 have you been led into this place knowing anything about Jesus? Do you need to know him this morning? I would love to talk with you and invite you to know him more. Because this is the chief reason he came, is to give you a, a clean slate, but an invitation into a great big life. But you also are here today, and many of you, I believe firmly, have already made a decision to follow Jesus. And you know him. And in the course of your knowing him, you have a wish list that's unanswered and you have a discontentment with him as a result because you don't know what it is you ask. Instead, it's not what can you do for me, God, but what can I do for you? What would you have me do this morning? And so when we open the invitation, if you need to meet Jesus, come, and come down that aisle and talk with me. I'm glad to introduce you. But if you're in this place and you already know him and you're, you've been asking him and with some discontentment wondering why you even come to church anymore because he's not saying yes to all your prayer requests, then I invite you to come and meet him again in a way that says, I'm done asking, now I'm here to serve, tell me what to do next. And that might be what you need to do here this morning. Would you stand with me today? Would you bow your heads? Lord, we thank you that as we are in this place, Lord, that you extending that grand invitation to meet you is no accident. But you also are inviting each and every one of us into a life's relationship of serving and doing and being. I pray, Lord, that we would just put down our questions this morning and come to you and just say we're listening. We're asking you, we need you to guide us and direct us. Where do you need help? What would you like us to do next? And I pray that as that invitation is extended throughout this room, Lord, that we would feel it personally and we would know that this year starts in just a few hours. This one coming to a conclusion that we're already in, that we can on a new foot, we can say, we didn't come here to be served we came here to serve. I pray, Lord, that this would be the opportunity to respond, Lord, for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.